welcome. Tonight I'm going to take you to Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to give you an Old Testament presentation of the first Passover, and then I'm going to show you what it means in the New Testament and apply it. Let me read from Exodus 12, the first 13 verses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for every family. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take it according to the number of persons, according to what each uh, can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it till the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill their lambs at twilight, at late in the evening. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they shall eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Don't eat it raw or boiled in water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and innermost parts. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn in fire. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood of that lamb shall be a sign for you on the houses where you dwell. And when I see the blood, not the fact that you don't smoke, not the fact you didn't have a divorce, not the fact you gave to United Way, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God must have a sense of humor. Of all the powerful animals in nature that he created, God chooses a helpless lamb to deliver his people. A lamb is helpless, clawless, fangless, defenseless. And only the lamb presents itself without any resistance. It offers itself to die. On the other hand, the symbol of Egypt was the serpent. So the first sign God did with Moses was to announce he was going to smite Egypt. God told Moses, throw your rod down, and it became a serpent. And then God told him, take it by the tail. And God was saying symbolically, I've got Egypt by the tail. When Pharaoh's magicians threw their rods down, they turned into serpents. But Moses' rod ate them up. God was proclaiming, I'm going to eat up Egypt tonight. God was saying that a lamb, a helpless lamb, was going to destroy the snake. Now the Egyptians must have laughed. But the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. You know, when you look at your life, many of you count yourself out. 
but you forget it's God's hand that makes you strong, not you. Then he gave them some instructions. Israel was to take a lamb on the 10th of April and begin an intense examination of it. Each family had one lamb, and they looked it over for several days. Now notice, it was the responsibility of the man to provide the lamb for his house. Exodus 12, 3. On the 10th day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for each family. That means we men have the responsibility to see that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is in our home. Don't blame the wife or the kids or other people. We men are to bring in enough lamb for everyone in our family. Churches today are largely matriarchal only because men have abdicated their responsibility to take the lead spiritually. So mom had to pick up the challenge and do it all. So is there enough lamb in the lives of our men to save your family? Remember, Scripture puts the responsibility squarely on the man to provide the lamb. I pray every married woman in Summit and every girl who's engaged or wants to be will choose a lamb eater for a husband. The blood of that lamb was the shelter and protection from death and destruction. That was the father's first priority. So after gathering the lamb on the 10th, examining it for defects or disease, it was killed on the 14th day. They killed the spotless lamb on their doorstep as a substitute for themselves. The blood was caught in a basin and then smeared over the doors and over the sides of the doors. So the family was going to be protected, protected from death and destruction by a wall of blood. Now bear in mind, they didn't know what they were doing. They had, this all had to be done by 3 o'clock in the afternoon in order to roast and eat the lamb by 6 p.m. The family entered their home through the wall of blood, and now they cook the lamb. Now watch this. God said the lamb was to be roasted with fire. They were not allowed to cook it any other way. So picture nearly 3 million Hebrews in one area of Egypt roasting approximately 250,000 lambs. The smoke and smell of lamb covered Egypt. It was evidence to God the blood of a substitute sacrifice had been applied to every family and that a covenant relationship had now been established between them and God. And not one bone of the lamb was to be broken and the whole lamb, the entire lamb, was to be consumed. When soldiers came to Jesus on the cross, they didn't break his legs. He was already dead. That scripture might be fulfilled that not a bone of him will be broken. Nothing could be left over for the next day. Any leftovers were to be burned immediately. You know, lots of folks only want to eat certain parts of Jesus. Not the deny yourself part or not my will but thy will be done. No, they just want to eat selective parts. But you're supposed to eat the whole lamb, he said. Then the family gathered around the table in order of their age. They ate bitter herbs as a reminder of bitter bondage in Egypt. 
Then they passed cups of wine around with unleavened bread. They would break bread and pass it around. The whole family was to consume the whole lamb. Now they're all dressed to leave. The family was to dress and pack to leave Egypt. It kind of had a sense of victory in it. The slave masters, they're still there. It looked like Israel was still in bondage. It looked like they would be there another generation. But don't believe it. They are leaving tomorrow. That slain lamb had already crushed the snake. They were already delivered. It only looked like they were still captives. So picture a nation full of lamb. As the nation of Israel walked out of Egypt, each family in Israel had a whole lamb inside of them. Each member had feasted on the same lamb, and the lamb was in each of them. Although they were 12 tribes with political different uh, tribes, religious denominations, ethnic groups, I'm trying to be very ecumenical here. I'm trying to show you they were all different, but they were all part of that same lamb. So the entire nation had the lamb of God in them. The lamb was eaten in their house. Families that are in covenant eating would now walk in covenant. What was the point of agreement for all the diversity? Twelve different tribes, different opinions. What was the point of agreement? The lamb. We're not here to celebrate race in church or style of music or a political party. We're here to celebrate Jesus. We couldn't possibly get a large church anywhere to agree on everything or to see every point of view. Stop it. You, we're cloning churches into political parties. I imagine God must be, he doesn't have hair, but he's probably pulling his hair out wondering, you guys are nuts. Your point of agreement, your point of unity is the lamb. It's Jesus. On that, we are agreed. So are you walking in agreement with your family? Is your home safe from the destruction of strife and anger? Is there peace, joy, and righteousness in your home? Well, if not, eat some lamb. And if Jesus has saved you, eat more lamb. When they offered the blood of that lamb, remember, the, the, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So when they offered the blood of that lamb, they were symbolically offering their life to God. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the bud, Leviticus 17, 11. So as they ate the flesh of the lamb, they symbolically were becoming one with God. God was saying, I am your covenant God. I have come inside of you. You are united to me and to each other. We are together. We are one. Now, what was happening while they are eating the lamb? Death, destruction, and agony. Now, why didn't it come on Israel? Was it because they were so much holier? Was it because of their race or their blood flow? Uh, no. The blood of that lamb brought them immunity. That's it. They weren't better than any Egyptian. Exodus 12, 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come in your house to strike you. The destroyer saw the blood 
and was not allowed to touch lamb eaters. Is there blood on the door of your heart? If so, the destroyer, death and hell, has to pass by. Can't touch you. The lamb will save you. Not your good works. Not the fact you aren't as ugly as people around you. Now listen to the New Testament lamb, the two-legged one, Jesus. This is Luke 10, verse 19. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now note, although Israel had been in bondage for over 400 years, they had been reduced to slave labor, impoverished conditions. When they ate the lamb, it says in Psalms 105, verse 37, but God brought out his people safely out of Egypt, loaded with silver and gold, and there were no sick or feeble people among them. Now, that's kind of amazing. That'd be like emptying a concentration camp. Under malnourishment, there'd be people too sick to walk. People malnourished. The Egyptians had them as slaves, were mistreating them. So they had to have infirm people. But when they ate the lamb, God did a miracle of healing. Isaiah 53, 5, speaking of Jesus, by his stripes we were healed. Now, in case you don't believe that, after Jesus is healing people in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 17, he says that it might be fulfilled by the stripes we are healed. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So what he promised in the Old Testament, Jesus is casting out demons and healing the sick and giving sight to the blind. And Matthew quotes Isaiah 53, a fortune-telling, a forth-telling prediction of Jesus who is striped. So in his body, by his stripes, we have healing, deliverance, encouragement, strength, power, but it comes through him. Well, Passover was to be continued year after year. God had said, Abraham, your descendants will be as the sand of the sea. They went into Egypt, about 75 people. They came out million strong. God promised that they would possess the promised land, and they did. He also said, one is going to come as a descendant of Abraham who would be a blessing to the whole world. And the coming one would not only be a king, but God among them, Emmanuel. So after Israel possessed the land and became a great nation, they began to look for that third promise. Now they added something to the Passover meal. They placed a cup at the end of the table, and it was called the cup. Listen to St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? See, that cup was for Messiah. When he comes, he will drink of the cup, and he will cut a new covenant with his people. Now, by now, unleavened bread was in a little bag with three compartments. And the host at the Passover would take the middle piece and break it, passing it around to all members of the family. They thought it meant Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Isaac had not been broken. He had been spared by God, remember? He hadn't been killed. The middle piece was called the aphakomen. 
It meant coming one. They still don't know what's going on. When the temple was built, people could come from far away and buy a sacrificial lamb, completely certified with authentic mileage, no disease, inspected, ceremonially clean. They could buy it in Jerusalem, raised by the priests, the Levites, and you no longer had to bring one. The fields outside of Jerusalem were reserved for the special sacrificial lambs. They were kept there, right outside of Jerusalem, until Passover. And then the shepherds took them into the temple courtyard to be killed. It was here that the shepherds of the sacrificial lambs heard the angel of the Lord make this announcement in Luke 2. We read at Christmas, remember? And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy. And this shall be for all people, not just the Hebrews. For unto you, this day in the city of David, a Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born. And this will be a sign unto you. You'll find that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. And see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known unto us. And they went and made haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Those shepherds could not have been out in December. It had been too cold to have sheep out in the field. Jesus was probably born in September or April. And the shepherds who were looking after four-legged lambs born to die were the first to see the Lamb of God born to die. Can you capture that? They were keeping the four-legged lambs born to die, and they got to see Jesus, the two-legged Lamb of God, born to die. When the shepherds went in with their lambs to Jerusalem, they spread it all over that the one who had been born was the fulfillment of the promised new covenant. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he made a Passover remark, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And every Hebrew knew what that meant. It was a Passover statement. The new covenant that had been promised in Jeremiah 31 was now centered in the person of Jesus. He's come to destroy our bondage to the snake. Now the final confrontation has come. The lamb of the Old Testament was a picture of Jesus, the lamb of God. The snake of Egypt was a picture of Satan, that old serpent, the devil. Now the real Christ has come to confront the real devil and take us out of our real bondage to that real devil and in so doing, wipe out, abolish all of our sins. Now, the lamb wasn't very impressive, born in a stable, meek and lowly, helplessly hanging on the cross. Sure doesn't look like power, 
but the weakness of God is stronger than man. I think God's just proven I can whip the strongest thing you have with the weakest thing I have. I'll take on the big, cunning, conniving, fearful serpent with a lamb. I love God. He is saying, stick it to you, Satan. What? The snake is being destroyed as Jesus, the lamb, hangs on the cross. You know, because in God's kingdom, lambs are lions. Revelation 5, verse 5. It says, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has conquered. He's looking at Jesus. He is worthy to open the scroll, the scroll and break the seven steels. Well, I looked and I saw a lamb that had been killed standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. Lambs are lions in God's kingdom. Now the lamb and the lambs, that's Jesus and the four-legged lambs, enter Jerusalem. Listen to Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and bringing salvation, and he is on the donkey. He's coming in, riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So before Jesus went to die for us and cut the new covenant, he went to Jerusalem. He enters on Palm Sunday, the 10th of April. This is John 12, verse 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A huge crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. You know, now as all the lambs were being herded into the city to be examined by the Levites, the Lord Jesus is entering simultaneously by the eastern gate as the Lamb of God. Have you ever wondered why the Gospels take so much account of Jesus last week on earth, where the Pharisees examine him, ask him all kinds of questions? Well, at the same time, over in the temple courtyard, they're examining the four-legged lambs to see if they're pure. Jesus was examined for three years and had no sin. Now he's being examined along with the Passover lambs. Now on the evening of the 13th day, the start of the 14th begins at 6 p.m. in Jewish calendars. Jesus gathers the disciples in the upper room to celebrate the last Passover meal. Jesus took the bag and he broke the centerpiece of bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Why, what wasn't Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Hebrews were holding the Trinity in that bag, but they didn't know it. Then Jesus took the cup, the one no one had ever used, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And Jesus went from here to the cross. It's very significant that by 9 a.m. on the 14th day, the Levites were sharpening their knives for the lambs ready in their pens for sacrifice. Jesus was being nailed to the cross. Darkness came over the land. Jesus was bearing our sin, enduring the fire of God's wrath. Remember God said to the Hebrews, that lamb has to be roasted in fire? 
So as this final lamb, Jesus, was exposed to the fire of God's wrath that was due us in judgment, Jesus took our place and died for us. So Lamentations, I'm sure you don't have that one on your refrigerator, chapter 1, verse 13 says, From above he sent fire into my bones. At 3 p.m., Jesus cried, It is finished. That word, tetelaste. It means paid in full. What every one of us wants to see on our home mortgage. <laughs> paid in full. That was a merchant deal, right? At 3 p.m., the Levites flashed their knives in the temple courtyard, and the lambs died. The last Passover God will ever recognize took place the night before when Jesus celebrated it with his disciples and began a new covenant meal that looks back not to a lamb that died for me, but looks back to the Lamb of God that died for everyone. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. The Lord's Supper is a triumphant meal. Not a solemn meal, it's victory. We don't celebrate the supper to remember the death of Jesus only, but to remember his triumph over the snake. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He is our God. Our sins are gone. We are his people. And we gather here tonight around the Lamb and triumphantly proclaim, worthy is the Lamb. We are saints together with the Lamb. The bread of life is in us. We have become one loaf together. There's a crumb of Jesus in you and a crumb of Jesus, the bread of life, in me. But when we get together, we're one loaf. We're many parts, but one body, one loaf. Then St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the benefits of the blood of Christ? And when we break the loaf of bread, aren't we sharing in the benefits of the body of Christ. And we all eat from that one loaf showing that we are one body. By the way, when they took that bread, they were symbolically saying, God, into me I put you, and God was saying, into you I put me, which is why when we do a wedding and there's an exchange of wedding cake, it's merely been lifted from that old Hebrew custom of making covenant, and we're saying in marriage, into you I put me with this cake, and into you I put me. We are now one flesh, undivided. We are no longer two, we're one. So I'm becoming one with the Lord. He's becoming one with me when we share his body. The 12 tribes were all part of the same lamb. So we're not in covenant with a denomination, with an organization, with a political party, or with a particular nation. But we're in covenant with a person and with each other through Jesus, the Lamb of God. In the Garden of Eden, it was one lamb, for each person, Adam and Eve. In Egypt, it was one lamb for each family. In the temple, it was one lamb for the whole nation. In the New Testament, it's one lamb for the whole world. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.